Uh, good morning. Happy Sabbath. I want to welcome those viewing online and those who've made it in person. Happy Sabbath to all of you. Um, we are studying lesson number five uh, in today's, um, in, in the first quarterly. Uh, it's called entitled Creation and Mortality. And uh, let's, let's begin with prayer. A gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the sunshine, first of all. It's been ten days of seemingly clouds and rain. We, we appreciate uh, clear sunshine. Well, thank you for this day that you've given us, one day in seven, and what it represents and what it says about your character. Uh, please guide our study today and be with those of our group who are not with us. Uh, please bring them back safely in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to begin, uh, let's begin with Sabbath's lesson. Memory text, uh, let's have someone read that for us. This is a very, very familiar text, or should be anyway. Uh, it's Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What is God telling our first parents uh, in this uh, when he's when he's talking to them here, what, what's he what's he really saying to them? You have a choice. Okay, yeah, and he's telling them clearly that they have a choice. That we, you know, human beings were created with the power of choice, uh, as are were the angels and every other intelligent being in the universe is created with the power of choice. Did uh, did God tell our first parents that He would kill them for eating the forbidden fruit? Is that what He's telling them? I don't think so. Is he telling them that they would immediately keel over dead from eating the fruit? Clearly, that's not what happened. If Scripture is to be believed, Adam lived another 900 or so years. What's he, what is God telling us? What's God telling Adam and Eve in this command not to eat of the fruit? Yes? Choosing a new path, and that path is not leading to life. Ah, so God is trying to reveal, perhaps to them, something about the way his government works and the way that they are made in relationship to it. Yes? I believe Ellen White says that Satan was confined to the tree. He didn't have roving access. That's my understanding of Patriarchs and Prophets, that he did not have... I think when he said, don't eat of the fruit, what he was saying is that tree should have no interest to you. Stay away from that part of the garden because you're not ready for that. Okay. Yes? I don't think he created to die. It wasn't in his plan that they die, but if they did not, like you say, go along with his government and the rules that he had laid down for him, thou shalt surely die. Certainly mankind was created for immortality. I mean, we still have... The vestiges of seeking immortality are still in each one of us. Um, you know, we, we, we have the desire to to survive. We have the desire to live. You know, the, the evolutionists would suggest that that's something that has evolved over time as part of the survival of the fittest mechanism. We, we want that. We, we have evolved this innate ability to survive. I, I would suggest that it's leftover vestiges from creation of Adam and Eve that we were created for immortality. And whether you died at 969 years, uh, like Methuselah, 
or the newborn that takes a breath and dies. Uh, all of us, everyone has died, has died too young. The lesson, uh, the Sabbath lesson talks about human rights a bit. Uh, and my first question was, to, do, do, we, do, we, do humans have any rights? What is it that stipulates a person's right? Maybe their work. Um, I, well, I, I'm not sure I would use rights and worth synonymously. Um, something, something dictates uh, a person's rights. Somebody has to grant it. Yeah, similar to Tim's analogy of justice, and it's all dependent on the ruling authority or the the power that is in 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 rule at the time or in a place. So whatever they consider justice is innate in the laws that they enact. And so ah. this looks like what they want it to look like. And so I think rights are, are similar. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Um, isn't it governments that institute rights? Or do they acknowledge them? Like, like we say... But there's inalienable right. There's there's a certain something that all people have, a worth or a I don't know if that is the right word. That we're acknowledging that as a government, we're going to comply with that. But is that a right? <laughs> Did or does it were? God gave us the power of choice. Uh, I don't know whether choice is even a right. Um, do you human beings have privileges? Does God did God's government grant Adam and Eve rights? Did they have a right to live in the garden? Did they have a right to life? Yes. Or were they privileged to do so? Define what? Right. Yeah, that's the question. Define right. Yeah. Okay. Let's define right. What, what is what is a right? Well, God created us uh, with love, and love gives freedom. And so freedom implies that we have liberties, that we can make decisions, that we don't have to follow arbitrary our rules, that he wants us to think and be free. But according to God's government, is is our freedom, is that a right? Is that a privilege? Or is that simply... It just is. It just is. Uh, God is. Okay. So we are. Any? Do we have any great definitions of what a right is? I'll give you just a second in the back. I wasn't going to address the rights, but okay. two other words that go with rights that we hear. One is inalienable, and one is unalienable. Unalienable is used in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, unalienable rights are those rights that are God-given. They can't be done away with by a law. Inalienable rights change according to the law. Well, okay, what does the Declaration say our inalienable rights are? We have the right, the, our Declaration of Independence says we have the right to life, liberty, and, and uh, the pursuit of happiness. Um, can life be taken from us? 
Okay, so then the government hasn't granted us a right to life. Can liberty be taken from us? Yes. In fact, the government can take that liberty. And can the pursuit of happiness be taken from us? Based on the United States government. Does God's government give us the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursue happiness? Or does he give us the privilege to do those things, or is there something else in the back? We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We may make a choice to yield that and then suffer the consequences, just like God gives us the privilege of eternal life, or we may choose to yield that. So but by nature of us yielding our pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, that right hasn't gone away. We've just made a choice. I still don't know that I would qualify that as a right. Carl. I think the bigger thing is that God created us with worth and value. And because he created us with worth and value in a, in a universe that he set up to operate upon love, then it has to be that we're left free to think and to choose and, and to move about based on our reason. You know, and, and that can be for good or it can be for bad, but still God created us to think and to choose because we are people of worth and value. I, I couldn't agree more. Hang on, we've got, we've got several hands. Eve? Um, I think often when we start talking about the, the rights that we have, um, it leads towards a significantly selfish attitude. Um, now, if, if that's the, the tendency, then I don't think that what God gave us is rights. Um, what God gave us is the privilege. He gave us the freedom to choose. Um, not to, you know, stomp on somebody else for, for so that I can get my rights and, you know, stomp on somebody else so that somebody else can get their rights. I mean, it's, we talk about rights and it leads to, to fighting, um, which I can't believe would be consistent with God's government. I, I'm still not, I haven't heard a good definition of what rights are. And therefore, well, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have one. I, I want... I have three words that come to my mind when I hear the word right as we seem to use it in the 21st century. I'm not sure it's correct, but at least one is something that we expect, something that might be an entitlement, something that we deserve. Like, for example, is it a right to expect that when I inhale, I get breath and it brings oxygen to my blood and I, you know, I breathe? It, it can- I like where you're going with that. It connects with some of the other things we've talked about involving the brain and emotions and power of choice. But when I hear the word right, these are the things I think of. Something we deserve, something to expect, something... Entitlement's a loaded word in our society right now, but in the fact that I expect when I stand up and my feet go, God has made it in such a way that I do that. Let's let's flesh this out a little more. Let's, Let's contrast two different types of government. Two different types of law. Let's look at imposed law. Under an imposed law system, people have rights. The, the ruling government of the land stipulates man has the inalienable right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. In a natural law, man has freedom 
to follow the path of life, freedom to inhale and expect that uh, air will be taken in and the body will use oxygen and nitrogen and et cetera uh, as it was created to do. But does a natural law give us any rights? Or does it give us privileges and consequences for deviations from that law? Does a natural law give us any rights? I was just wondering if I could share someone else's thoughts about what is a right. Please. And because it seems it, it defines it a little bit clear on their thoughts. What is a right? A right is a gift from God that extends from our humanity. Thinkers from St. Thomas Aquinas to Thomas Jefferson to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to Pope Paul John II have all argued that our rights are a natural part of our humanity. We own our bodies, thus we own the gifts that emanate from our bodies. So our right to life, our right to develop our personalities, our right to think as we wish, to say what we think, to publish what we say, our right to worship or not worship, our right to travel, to defend ourselves, to use our own property as we see fit, our right to due process, fairness from the government, and our right to be left alone are all rights that stem from our humanity. These are natural rights that we are born with. The government doesn't give them to us, and the government doesn't pay for them, and the government can't take them away unless a jury finds that we have violated someone else's rights. I would respectfully disagree with that. I think I think all of those things are privileges or or a result of believing in an opposed law uh, concept. I mean, I thank you for sharing it, but uh, I respectfully disagree. Eve? If those were God-given rights, um, would we have the need to have those rights in heaven? Good question. Will we have rights in heaven? If, if I remember correctly, um, righteousness... In the Bible, and justice are can be translated from the same word. And when I look up right in the Bible, it says in accord. I mean, in the dictionary, in accordance with what is good, proper, or just. So it's possible that a right is whatever is just. And as Tim talks about, when something is just, it's in alignment. It's consistent. So I think perhaps a definition of our rights would be whatever is consistent with love, whatever is consistent with the perpetuation of life, which is love, whatever facilitates God's kingdom and eternal life. And so maybe that is one definition of right. And I think we... In this discussion, it's difficult without a clear definition of right, and it's difficult to discuss government because we're we're using government to mean earthly governments and heavenly governments, and those two things, it's like confusing the discussion. My, my primary goal in bringing this up was to contrast an imposed law concept versus a natural law concept. And in thinking and reading about this and in preparation for today, uh, I had a difficult time coming up with any rights under a natural law concept. I mean, do we have a right to to uh, the law of gravity? Do we have a law? Do we have a right to? Do we have a right to breathe? Or were we created to operate 
governed by some of these laws and deviations from those laws lead to lead to damage we need to move on let's i want to i want to review we're going to review some some uh some of the types of law that um that constitute god's government uh, this is stuff we've been over before but it, it, it's worth repeating uh first of all is the law of love this is a this is a big umbrella uh, and, and this is the cornerstone of God's government. All the following laws are an expression of the God's law of love. <clears throat> Next are the physical laws. These are the laws of gravity, laws of uh, thermodynamics, momentum, motion, physical, biological, and chemical laws. And we have the health laws. Healthy diet, plenty of water, exercise, fresh air, 78 hours of sleep, etc., uh, it's worth noting that the health and the physical laws are intimately related and linked. That, what's next? Anybody else? We have two more. Law of liberty. The law of liberty. Excellent. Love cannot exist without liberty and freedom. One more. Law of worship. The law of worship. Thank you. Psychologists refer to this as modeling. Scripture refers to this, this as uh, by beholding we become changed. Think about these five sets of laws. Think about the health laws, for example. Do we have a right to 15% body fat? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, do we? Do we have a right to love our, the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds and love our neighbors as ourselves? Or are these laws the only recipe for life in the universe? It's like it's intrinsic. It's just it. It's what... What life is. It's the way life was created to operate. And I have, I have a difficult time, and maybe it's my, maybe I have a different definition of what a right is than, than some others, but I have a difficult time seeing that we have rights because um, I just see rights as, as something we adopt from an imposed law concept. You know, the U.S. government gives us civil rights and, and human rights and et cetera, et cetera. The reality is, is that we don't have the right to those things. Yes. So we have rights that's being created by God Himself, as child of God. That is the right. Well, scripture tells us we have the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. Um, again, I don't know that I don't know that I would classify that as a right. We have the right. We have the right to refuse that. We have the the freedom of choice to refuse. You know, sonship and God, daughtership of of God. Just wanted to make you think. That's why we're here. Not here to tell you what to think. Here to get trained how to think. Um, where? Let me just add one more thing. Yes. Adam and Eve didn't have to choose to belong to God. They they were part of God's family uh, in the creation process. We, because we have been separated from God through sin, have that choice to make, but 
Um, I think intrinsically Adam and Eve were God's children. They didn't have to say, I wonder if I'm God's child. They just were. And don't you think that's what God wants us to come back to, that relationship that, you know, just is? I, I think that's a fair point. Um, we're, sorry, go ahead. But I, and, and maybe it's all semantics and we're, we're overbeating this dead horse, but my children have a right to claim to be my children because they are. And they have a right to claim that. And with that right comes privileges. But they have a right to claim to be my children. And I think I have a right to claim to be God's child. Because I am. And that is right. And that is just. Okay. Again, uh, I can't argue with that. That's that's a, another fair point. We're talking about um, you know, creation and morality. Where do human beings get their moral compass from? And I will tell you, if you can answer this question, it will give you a profoundly powerful argument against those who believe in the religion of evolution. Where does our moral compass come from? Try to convince me. I'm an evolutionist. I think the moral compass has evolved from our relationship to family and our relationship to friends and our relationship to a social group. And I think that doing what's in their best interest is best for the whole world order and therefore the species survive. Yeah, isn't it the heart of it really selfishness versus love? God's character? Can be. Jesus Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners? <laughs> that's, that's the heart of a very powerful argument. Of us first? Yes. Any other comments, thoughts? Well, it's more defined by the commandments that came from God, from which many of our actual civil laws stem. You know, don't kill each other, etc. So, uh, are, you're not saying that our morality is derived from the Ten Commandments? You said, that, where did our moral compass come from? And I said, it comes from God, but it's defined more clearly in the Ten Commandments, for example, where God lays out what is a healthy versus unhealthy way of interacting with each other, morally. Okay. Did, did Adam and Eve have the Ten Commandments? In their minds, undoubtedly, but not written down. In the back. You, you suggested that if uh, our moral compass could come from what's best for the entire community, why would we care? If, if moral compass comes from love, which... You can't define through evolution. Why would I care what is best for my neighbor? Why wouldn't I just take what I want? Well, the evolutionists would argue that possibly what's good for your neighbor in the short term is, is good for you in the long term. Why would I care? And good for the society in the long term. Because the evolutionists would argue that we are we're trying to survive. We're, we're, try, we're trying to perpetuate the species. We're trying to... We're trying to excel. If I turn to dust, why do I care what happens afterwards? What, what can I get? What can I get the most toys? It's <laughs> good. As much as you can until you turn to dust. Eve. Um, if if morality is something that evolved, 
then when somebody got sick, would we not kill them? Um, lest it harm the population as a whole. And if somebody gets injured... Or quarantine them. Or, yeah. Um, what is it that causes us to see that as bad? Because evolution wouldn't. I agree. I'm not an evolutionist, but I would agree with you, the evolutionist, that, that our morality has evolved, unfortunately, and it has created a lot of problems. Well, our morality has devolved. I don't know that it's evolved. I would suggest it's devolved. Well, it's changed over time, which is yes. evolution. I'm going to go back to a little more basic uh, definition of what I believe rights are, which are... If, you know, we none of us chose to, to be born, to be here. I mean, it's all an accident of nature, essentially. So It's a choice made by our parents, usually. So, in other words, we have, we, we hold certain things in common. And if I violate someone else's common, you know, definitions, or you might call them rights or whatever, you know, of who they are, then, to me, that's, that's where I, I start breaking with morality. And, and I think, on, a, on, a very, on the most basic common denominator level, I think that's where I, I start, and that's where I can go a very long way in being moral with other people. And an imposed law concept would have, uh, have you fined or jailed for um, damaging someone else. A natural law concept would suggest that the far greater damage occurred to you and your character yeah. uh, and your conscience for, for violating someone else's uh, privileges or rights. To, to take that into two examples this week, I, I heard, uh, I, didn't, I didn't actually hear the interview of uh, Lance Armstrong, you know, with... Uh, Oprah, but there was also another one with uh, Pete Rose, who was on the Today Show this week, and they were both commenting on how important it is to face your own failures and, and, and ask forgiveness, find forgiveness for, it's most, most important for yourself, really, and then, you know, others can do with it what they want to, but what you know, to, to go back then to this this idea of, of a basic, um, you know, violation of, of what what we hold in common, you know, as human beings with each other, is the natural consequence of violating someone else's quote-unquote rights is that you have no expectation whatsoever that your commonality or your rights will be respected either. Okay, I want to move on. Uh, I want to jump to Thursday's lesson for a moment. Um, this is entitled Morality and Accountability. It dovetails a little bit with what was just uh, presented. Uh, how are morality and accountability linked, or are they? Yes? Maybe accountability is nothing more than the natural consequences of breaking laws. Of natural law. Okay. That's, that's how I feel. Conventional Christianity would, would disagree with that. Conventional Christianity has us believe that um, 
can't read how tiny this is, uh, would have us believe that uh, we are either rewarded for doing or saying the right things uh, and punished for doing or saying the wrong things. That's what the lesson suggests, that there's a reward versus punishment for doing or saying what's right and wrong. And that justice requires someone to hold someone else accountable. Correct. Or injustice. Correct. Violations of law uh, must be punished. Urged Satan. The um, the 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 lesson um, references Matthew twenty-five verses thirty-one through forty. This is the parable of the sheep and goats which we're familiar with. Um, The lesson states the difference between the two groups in Jesus' parable is how each person treated those who were in need. Is that the difference in the parable? Is that an accurate statement? Actually, suggest that that's that's the symptom of the difference. (laughs) Well said. I agree. She said that how people treat, how the two groups treated those in need was a symptom, a sign or a symptom versus the actual problem. Real differences in the heart. Correct. What is the fundamental difference between the two groups? One operates out of love, other operates out of survival of the One is a sheep. One is a goat. That's the difference. Okay? And it's not an, it's not an arbitrary decision made by God at the time of, of facing them. It's a diagnosis. It's an accurate statement. It's a revelation of their character. The behaviors are symptoms of, signs and symptoms of having been cured or, having, or remaining sick. What if Christ had said, the sick come on my the the well the healed come on my right hand the sick come on and stand on my left. It's the same parable. Okay, the, the difference in that parable is whether or not you're a sheep or a goat. Uh, the lesson would have us believe that it's behavior related, and it's not. Any other thoughts? Brilliant, brilliant glimpses of the obvious. Which side is the desirable side, the well or the sick? Uh, I would rather be a sheep. I would rather be in the well. Which side is the sheep, well or sick? I mean... Well. (laughs) So you're talking about after judgment. I see. But if you're talking about before judgment, I mean, I'm sick. We are either on the path to healing or we're on the path to death. We're on the path to wellness or we're on the path to death. And we are all at different points on that path. Right? There are only, only two, two choices. Right. I just... When, when the diagnosis is being made, Christ is telling the sick, stand on my left. The well, stand on my right. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Am I missing? No, I, I'm just 
That's you're talking about after judgment, and I understand that after judgment, yes, there will be healed and there will be sick. I was thinking of it in terms before judgment. It was a little confusing. Well, I think the parable Christ is trying to tell people is that there will one day be a, a, a diagnosis made. Okay, if 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 our if our unique Seventh Day Adventist understanding of of the timing of these things, then this. This scene, I don't see how it takes place. They're not just sick; they're terminally sick. Correct. They're so yeah, they're no dead. That they could get well. I mean, if we if we believe that Christ comes and the 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 righteous living are taken to heaven, and the righteous dead are, are resurrected and taken to heaven, and the wicked living on earth are, are killed by the brightness of His glory, then there's no there's no division of things there. We spend, you know, the righteous spend a thousand years in heaven with, you know, with God, and and holy city comes back down on the earth, and the wicked dead are raised, and you know, the the righteous are already, already in the city. Well, our diagnosis has been made. You know, we're well. The sheep, you know, the goats are, are without that. You know, outside the walls. So I think Christ is trying to tell his listeners and us that one day a diagnosis is going to be made. And you're going to be in one of two groups. Yes. Did I just wondered if anybody else read the last paragraph on Thursday's lesson, which is just astounding. It's I know it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Go ahead. If the Bible teaches anything, it teaches that the justice so lacking in this world will one day be meted out by God Himself. More so. The whole idea of judgment implies a moral order. Why would God judge, much less punish, if there were no moral standards to which people could be held? <laughs> Fantastic, isn't it? Me. Happy Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's. That's why I jumped to this lesson. I mean, it's it's full it's full of something. And the goats have already been determined by the way we have lived up until the time of Christ coming. Sheep, sheep and goats, our, our characters have been de- developed, fully developed. Um, what was it that Jesus had that we need? He had a connection that never stopped with God, right? He was always connected to God. He did everything... Uh, through the power of God, not his own power. And that implies, I think, that we have that decision to make. We decide whether we want to have that connection, whether it makes us completely well or not until Jesus comes. It's really immaterial as long as we have that connection. And so I think the choice is not so much wellness as I want to be connected to God and let him work through me, and I don't have to worry about what he's doing in my life because he's taking care of me or not be connected. Well, yeah, and it transcends that as well. Um, you know, we should, I was thinking, just thinking this morning as I was kind of reviewing through things, we should pray for a greater measure of God's vengeance in our lives and the lives of our families. Yeah. As Scripture defines vengeance, we should beg for vengeance. That's right. God's vengeance, because God's vengeance is healing right. and transforming our characters and taking his vengeance out on sin and how it separates us from him. Right. We should beg for vengeance for our, ourselves, our friends, our families, and our enemies. And not the, not the gleeful standing up on the wall, uh, you know, 
praising heaven because our enemies are burning in hell forever vengeance. The vengeance that we want them to share uh, in the wellness that we have experienced and the transformation of character that we've experienced in our lives. That's the vengeance that we need to pray for. Just one second. Yes. This week I was thinking of a song, Cast Thy Burdens Upon the Lord and He Will Sustain Me. He will never suffer the righteous to fall. He is at thy right hand. And Jesus, in the Last Supper, realizing that all power had been given to him, took off his garments, put on a towel, and washed his disciples' feet. Servants are at your right hand to assist you with whatever is needed. In a in the world of say Downton Abbey or something, assist the servants are doing everything and making your life possible. You know, we we have an all powerful God who uh, is our servant, who just says, "Ask and ask me what you want, and I'll help you with it. I'll heal you. I'll give you your, the character you need. I'll balance you. I will. I am your servant for this purpose to heal you." That's right. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think when we, we think about vengeance, God's vengeance, it's not against the sinner. It's against sin itself. Mm-hmm. Correct. Sin and what it does to us. Correct. And so he will ultimately destroy sin. In other words, it'll never be again. But he still loves a sinner, even though they choose to be eternally separated from him. Correct. You, you cannot tell me that our Savior will not be weeping on the wall of the Holy City while he watches his enemies you know, realize uh, how defective their characters are and the pain that it causes them and the, res- and the, the knowledge that they will be separated from him. Yeah, you cannot tell me that he will not weep. But the, you, we need to remember how God does destroy sin. He's not doing any arbitrary thing to get rid of sick people. It's just that sin is just, sin is destroyed or, t- or done away with by the truth that God reveals, the light that because sin, the lawlessness, the lies, the deceptions are all done away with through the truth that God reveals, and and that truth, you know, whether we're in harmony with it or we're not in harmony with it, just determines whether we're dying or whether we're living. Thank you for bringing that up and clarifying that. But you're right; it's not a it's not an arbitrary stamp of of approval because you know we have accepted you know his blood payment on our behalf. That's right. It is a it is a changing of character. It is a healing that occurs, and I cannot tell you the mechanics of it. But if I have pneumonia <clears throat> and I take antibiotics, I can't tell you the biochemistry and the pathophysiology of how that cures my pneumonia. But if I take the remedy, I will get better. Just because just because we can't we can't identify the science of it and we can't articulate the the mechanics of it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Okay, I think we'll spend all of eternity fleshing out the details of of how our characters were transformed and sharing that with with angels and, and unfallen worlds. Because they won't know, they they'll have they'll be thirsting for knowledge of what it <clears throat> what it feels like to go from sick to he to healthy. Because they were never sick. And I would say, while here on this earth, the fact that I still have symptoms doesn't mean it's not happening. Correct. 
Correct. You take the antibiotics, sometimes the coughing increases, sometimes you start hacking up some disgusting stuff to spit in the Kleenex. Symptoms uh, don't necessarily disappear instantly. We've got one more comment. We've got to wrap it up. Dennis has been talking about in the last couple of weeks one of the sweetest comments that came out of Graham Maxwell's memorial service. And that was someone said of him that his enemies were as safe with him as his friends. And I feel like that is such a succinct way of describing God's character. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going to be manifest at the moment that, that God is looking down on the destruction of the what we would call the wicked or the unrighteous. At that moment in time, his enemies are going to be as safe with him as those who are inside the city. Correct. And that's right. And you, know, you see this revealed on the cross. You know, the, the Jews that were screaming for his death and, the, and the, the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross, they were safe. He wasn't calling down fire from heaven or 12 legions of angels to prevent it. But they were perfectly safe. But they didn't recognize it, nor will the wicked when they're trying to march on the city. They will not see the kingdom of God. They will not recognize that they are safe. But their right to choose will maintain, will be maintained safe all the way through. And not only that, but our right to choose will be maintained for eternity. We will still have the freedom to rebel. But we will have such vivid memories of what rebellion did to ourselves and to our friends and our families uh, and our enemies that... No one will choose. No one will choose rebellion again. What a day! Now we're saying we have a right. <laughs> What's that? Now we're saying we have a right. <laughs> a right to choose. Man, I I think that that may be that may be the only right that God gave us is the right to choose. <laughs> I feel like you asked, asked the question: Would God still give us the power of choice in heaven? And He says. We'll plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. What if I don't want to plant a vineyard? I'd rather sit home and crochet. You know what I mean? <laughs> is, is that going to be a command for me? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll, I will, um, I'll answer that when we get there. Let's uh, close the prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the revelations of your character and your government that you have given us and you've given this class. Uh, we pray for those who are recovering from surgery and injury and are facing surgery. Um, members of our class are struggling with those issues. I ask that you comfort them and lay your healing hand on them in accordance with your will. Um, thank you for blessing our class corporately and individually. And we ask for greater revelations of uh, the knowledge of your character and greater uh, portion of your Holy Spirit as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.